started reading about SEO and just basically like went home that night and kept reading and kept reading the next day and just was like absolutely hooked. You know, we personally, because we're bootstrapped and, you know, we, we're, we're making profit in these things. We don't experience it personally, but I think anyway, it directly affects like even your strategy and your approach when you when you understand that the whole sector obviously is going through a certain period. We didn't totally know yet, but really landed on like the inbound model with the inside sales rep and that started to work. Most of the people, around 85% of the people are actually declining cookies. So essentially, you're losing most of the data in a way. Even if that doesn't materialize into as many leads or, or new clients uh, you know, over the next 9 to 12 months, uh, there's still a great value in, in building our audience. Welcome to the Twit Podcast, uh, and we have today Nate Turner from the Chicago area from the US. Uh, he basically is the co-founder and CEO of TenSpeed. He's helping companies uh, uh, optimize content, uh, more specifically in the SaaS and D2C uh, uh, areas. And uh, let's dive straight in. Nate, welcome. Uh, where did you grow up and what would you say was unique about you? being there at your younger years yeah um first of all thanks for for having me today i'm excited to to chat and, and dig into a lot of this stuff with you guys um yes i i grew up in like a rural area in midwest of the united states um so uh pretty well out in the country uh but we had did have uh kind of a nice small group of of folks out there so a uh, number of kids my age and just a lot of space a lot of freedom so um, you know, looking back on that, it certainly was a special thing to just have the ability to, well, you know, whatever, ride bikes and kind of go all over and, and do things, having room to, to do all kinds of stuff out there. So, uh, you know, we live in the suburbs of Chicago now, so my kids don't have quite the same experience, you know, and, uh, yeah. So now seeing the, the difference, I certainly appreciate what I had. And when it came to uh, I see. kind of career aspirations and and things at this stage, like what was the kind of first uh, job you had in your mind? What did you want to be when you were young? Kind of running around those those kind of areas. What was it that you aspired to become when you grew up? Yeah, I think you know, like a, a lot of kids, I wanted to be a professional baseball player for quite a long time. Um, but I think beyond that. Um, probably by age like 11 or 12, um, for quite a long time, uh, wanted to be an architect actually. So, um, that was kind of my intention for, for quite a long time was, was to become an architect. Did you have any experiences actually in the architecture or did you follow any courses in, in that area? Uh, no, I, I knew even before getting to getting like through the end of high school and into college, I kind of already knew that that wasn't really a path that I wanted to take. So, uh, I see. Didn't okay. actually get it. Weirdly, weirdly, I was so actually. I, yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm. I'm like slightly delayed. So, <laughs> bear with me. We might go over each other a little bit. Um, yeah, in terms of architecture, I was I was weirdly the same. Right at around thirteen or fourteen, I remember buying this like CD-ROM for my PC, which was like building these like you know three D like architecture kind of things. Um, but again, for me, it also died out by the time I was like sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. It's weird we had the, we had the same early early idea about what what we wanted Definitely. to do. <laughs> and what was yeah. what was your yeah. your first job? I was literally the same. Yeah. <laughs> what was your first job so, when you had gone? Uh, like a lot of yeah, like like a lot of kids in the the midwestern area, we were surrounded by corn. So, um, one of the earliest jobs we were able to do was detasseling corn, which is a you know just kind of a kind of a three-week sprint really is like seven days a week this is just a very short season where that job needs to be done uh and so you just work three weeks straight basically as a kid and get paid some good money and and then go back sorry this was was this before high school or uh it was yeah yeah i so like there's not many jobs you're able to do i think it's before 14 or 15 here you're you're not allowed to to really have a job like an actual job as a as a kid um but that was one that was, was kind of an exception you're able to do as a contractor so um yeah so that was the, the first i see first real job that i had 
Yeah, because many many marketers, even from from our podcast, we we saw that they're they don't have this like linear approach to marketing. They had many several uh, jobs. They come from many diverse diverse uh, areas of expertise. So when were you first conscious that you might go into marketing, or why marketing in a way? Um. Yeah, so I I kind of had a, an interesting path because I um. Yeah, you know, kind of at end of high school and into college was actually very into music and was kind of interested in like the business side of the music industry. Um, and so kind of in, in, in originally set out to do more around that and, and kind of study in the area and, and be able to potentially move into some sort of like, you know, record label or, or some sort of job in that industry. And so started out there, but then kind of uh, quickly realized like, uh, you're pretty limited geographically. Uh, like you gotta be in Nashville or in LA or, you know, a few, few specific areas. And, uh, I didn't like that, that level of restriction. So, um, just started thinking about like what I liked out of that. And so kind of pivoted into, um, a degree that was kind of a mix of communication and business. Um, and started to kind of understand like within that there was sort of marketing advertising pr uh, a lot of different um elements of comms and so that's kind of through that started to understand uh, a little bit of a pull towards marketing and also just a bit of a knack for it as well great and and as it was back in 2011 right when you first joined uh, sprout social uh, as their first marketing hire and so our next yeah. question typically is around kind of two to three different kind of situations or kind of big learnings that you went through early in your career. I expect there's a huge amount that came from that, that time at Sprout Social. Um, can you kind of pinpoint, yeah, maybe two or three different kind of like key learnings or situations that really taught you a lot about marketing during that time there? Yeah, I would say even before joining Sprout, um, so came out of school and I kind of just had like a couple different, a little more general business management type roles. And so still wasn't like fully in on marketing. Um, but through a sort of like a series of events, uh, was asked to kind of help manage a, a website project, uh, for the company I was working with and talking to the developer, she asked me what SEO keywords I wanted to use on the homepage. And I was like, uh, let me get back to you. And I Googled, you know, what are SEO keywords? And I didn't like, uh, and started reading about SEO and it's basically like went home that night and kept reading and kept reading the next day and just was like absolutely hooked. So that was definitely, you know, a key moment that, um, led me down that path that ultimately then pulled into the broader marketing aspect of it. So that was definitely a key moment, um, and then yes, uh, moving from there, I worked at an agency that was like heavily SEO, but we did PPC and web projects and a number of other things. Um, but then from there was when I really was like, uh, following the startup world closely reading hacker news and, uh, just all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, in kind of 2009, 2010, and then, uh, got the opportunity to join Sprout Social, like you said, in 2011. So that was definitely another big moment because that was um i just reached out they didn't even have an open role i just sent an email and just said hey i really like what you guys are building and uh this is what i do i'd love to do it for you so i didn't have a lot of expectations necessarily it was sort of like i would love to do marketing with this company that looks pretty cool um ended up getting the the job um and came on i think my original title was like online marketing director and um, so I was the first marketer there and, and started building and, and doing, uh, the early stages of marketing and didn't really, even then was just sort of like, this is fun. I'm getting to do marketing at a startup. Uh, but really I think didn't, didn't expect it to grow into what it would, uh, in terms of like my role and, and the impact there. Cause we, sorry, landed to, cut, like, to cut in there real quick, yeah. uh, what, what year was this? What year was this? Just for our audience to have some context. Yeah, I started there uh, right at the beginning of, of 2011. Ah, got it. Right at the beginning yeah. of cheap pay-per-click 
ads. <laughs> yes. Shall I say yeah? <laughs> yes. Got yeah. it. Um, there, I remember us uh, being upset that one of the the top keywords we wanted to go after was six dollars a click. Uh, so uh, it was pretty cheap. Um, <laughs> there, so yeah, there was there was just a lot, and and we didn't totally know yet, but really landed on like the inbound model with the inside sales rep. And that started to work. And I just sort of found myself in the driver's seat of growth um, because that was really just heavily driven from the, um, the the marketing that I was doing. So ended up being just a, a fantastic opportunity there. And so I think, you know, joining Sprout was definitely a pivotal moment. And then I think also, um, you know, maybe not necessarily one point uh, on the timeline, but just, you know, after several years, uh, it had like, you know, head of sales come in and everything it really, uh, uh, you know, CMO and like the, the organization matured a lot and really, I think kind of shifted into, uh, you know, a marketing leader type of role where there was, uh, you know, broader team and we're planning further out in advance and thinking bigger and, and doing things that were less tactical and, and just more, um, long-term strategic and really like driving that, that growth that ultimately led to, you know, hundred million in ARR and, and IPO. So, um, so I'd say that would probably be another big area which is sort of that shift from like doing the marketing and, and building the early stages into have that, the marketing leadership inside of a, a larger company. And from there you, um, so I guess once you left, um, Sprout Social, which was what in, in, in the last few years or so, was it 2019 or around this time? Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, end of 2019. Uh, yeah. yeah, so there, I, there, I left you it. I took on a lot. Uh, of... Sorry, you go. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Let's not go on. I left at the end of 2019 um, and really was just sort of at a point. So ironically, it was sort of pre-pandemic. And so less of the norm, but I really wanted a bit more flexibility not have to commute, work from home. Um, and so just started out by um, uh, consulting with a number of SaaS companies and kind of just helping, uh, ended up kind of finding a, a niche, which was like helping, you know, in between marketing leaders, uh, kind of be an interim leader and then help interview and hire a new marketing leader, onboard them and, and kind of work myself out of a job. So um, kind of just transitioning from what I was doing at Sprout and sort of that like broader growth acquisition marketing leadership and then just kind of helping a number of companies with that so did that for um like a year and a half i think before starting 10 speed so obviously now basically i mean you you somehow moved from being employed or working for a company to working for your own business what was give me actually one two or three or as many reasons or as many as many elements as you want in terms of which which were the biggest shift shifts in your in your mind in your perception, um, I would say one one big one is that it's like you lose all guardrails. Um, yeah, exactly. Like if you're in a in a role with a company, like you have some guardrails of like this is your job, and you know other people are doing these other parts. Um, and it also just in terms of what you want to do. So I think like that's a, that was a bit of a learning of like even just coming out of it. It was like, you know, do I keep consulting? Do I build group coaching? Do I build courses? Do I, you know, like there's so many things you could do. Do you write a book? Do you just blog? Do you start a podcast? Like, um, so it's a bit different that you you become the person that has to kind of give yourself the guardrails. And, and determine what those should be because like you literally can do anything um and that is a bit different after being an, an employee at a company for a long time I, I suppose during um these kind of like fractional kind of gigs that you had which which I, I i presume were kind of between six to 12 months typically i presume you kind of created somewhat of a kind of template by which you know within that time frame you could establish certain like key principles and I, I imagine that kind of template is something that you've been able to adapt or adopt slightly uh, within uh, 10 speed as well. 
can you tell us a little bit about that approach? Like if you're going into this fractural role or if you're working with a new uh, client now, like what are the kind of key elements of that frame where you can kind of, you know, come into a SaaS company at a certain stage and help them get those foundations into place? Yeah, I think, um, so I certainly did not document like a, a, a firm framework or process um but you know looking back i think there were certainly some things that that evolved there um some elements of it translated into what we do at 10 speed but i kind of went from like that fractional marketing leader to um really kind of focusing a bit 10 speeds much more focused in uh, like content marketing and seo so there's some elements of it that didn't necessarily translate but i think um uh there's I think the three areas were sort of like the people, like what's the team like, where are the skill sets, kind of like understanding where everything's at there. Um, so the the technology, tech stack, and then just a lot of like um, process stuff, I think were kind of three big areas. And so it depended a bit. Like I think I'd, I worked with a number of companies that are sort of series A, series B, like 10 to 20 million in revenue. And so I think that was a pretty good place to be in terms of like, there's enough going on. There's enough to work with. Some of the like early stage companies I work with, there's you know less areas to focus. But um, initially, and I think some of the elements of this kind of apply at a smaller scale with Tensby. But initially, it's like understanding where companies at and how they are currently working, and just having that like you know new set of eyes, fresh perspective of um, where where are things seem off or or odd you know and, and a lot of folks i think um you know in the, in the early interviews will kind of bring you a lot of like well here's our problem here's our problem if we just fix this you know it would be good um but a lot of times if you don't jump right into solutioning you uncover that those are just symptoms of the actual problem um and then kind of get in a bit deeper into that so for one client there was just a lot of frustration around like this the lead handoff from from marketing to sales and like information there and slowness and whatever um and so a lot of the suggestions and and things were very like kind of solving the surface level stuff uh when in reality we just ended up implementing chili piper um which kind of like solved a ton of that because it just like people were booking directly with the AEs if they met a certain criteria and just like skip a lot of the, you know, an SDR didn't follow up for three days and then this didn't get marked in the, the CRM and that kind of stuff. Um, but but typically, that, that's maybe not the best example. I like to also avoid technology changes. Like it's the worst thing, you know, be like, hey, let's work together for six months and then come in and be like, let's spend all six months moving you from, HubSpot to Marketo because that's my preference and then I'm going to leave. Like yeah. That's the worst. Um, so that I, I tended to try to like make technology a, a last resort, but I do think those are three big areas that like if you understand team skill sets and just be able to say like, you know, this is helpful, but like we need to round this person out and give them some more responsibilities this is a skill set you're sorely missing on the team. Uh, like, I think the big thing was just like, once you better understood where they're at, where their opportunity is from a channel perspective and the market and everything, then that's where I was able to kind of say, I would really look for a, a marketing leader that's very strong in like brand and storytelling or, uh, you know, more of like performance and acquisition um, and be able to kind of uh, help lay out a bit more detail on what, what would be the ideal candidate to be able to to take them to the next level? Mm -hmm. so, um, and because we we mentioned briefly TenSpeed and your company now, uh, can we dive deeper a bit more into the uh, palette of what kind of services or are you offering? Where is your yeah. main uh, area of focus and so on and so forth? Yeah, so I think so. We we primarily work with SaaS companies, but not exclusively, um, and we kind of sit at that intersection of content marketing and SEO. So content marketing is a very broad discipline uh, that can, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, video, podcast, case studies, sales enablement is, you know, just the list goes and goes and goes. Um, and so we, we really are kind of um, a lot of our clients have 
a content marketer on the team that kind of is that like broad content marketing resource and then we kind of go deep in in one area so we're really focused on uh understanding the icp that they have like who who's their target audience who they really want to attract um and then doing all of our research through that lens uh identifying you know from a search perspective um topics that are you know going to create good topic clusters and uh be the right areas that they want to build authority and uh so we kind of help build that strategy but then also kind of incorporate other content needs that they have um so it may not necessarily have as much of a search opportunity but it's just a good uh good piece of content that will help fuel other marketing efforts uh and we help would it create... be fair to describe sorry would, would it be fair to describe your services more revolving around the inbound marketing yes got it okay sorry so you can go yeah so we so we create content um you know we i think kind of have a the the seo lens so we're we're making sure if there's an opportunity that the content is optimized but we're also um you know interviewing a subject matter expert with the company kind of a journalistic style pulling out their point of view and their their uh perspective on things and uh kind of blurring the lines between like seo content and thought leadership uh, so really mm -hmm. kind of serves both purposes um and then, you know, outside of that, you know, we do SEO, like on-site optimization, technical SEO, some of that stuff. And then we also do like create social content for distribution uh, around a lot of the, the written content, uh, incorporate um, podcasts and videos into the content, things like that to really kind of pull it all together. So um, the, yeah, the main goal is like, yeah, kind of just like awareness, building brand awareness generating the traffic and leads uh, and revenue, I think, are kind of the, the areas that we're focused. And I'm assuming uh, because um, you kind of moved into this, you know, very focused area on content and SEO, this was also a big um, kind of pillar of growth whilst you were at Sprout Social. And therefore, that's what you've kind of grown up with in a way for your marketing career. But also, one thing just to add as well is that I actually first came across 10 Speed um, via Derek, who I believe is the marketing manager over there, because of a lot of the videos he was doing and content he was doing also on LinkedIn. So that obviously forms very much a part of your strategy as a company as well. Um, with this in mind, like what kind of um, focus and what kind of key um, factors would you say that you gave both during Sprout Social Time and now on your website and kind of what you know kind of key components of your website do you think exist? And how do you go about optimizing that as a kind of tool within your within your marketing suite? Yeah. So yes, to confirm uh, your assumption, uh, like content and SEO was a huge part of of growth for us at Sprout, and organic was the number one revenue channel for you know for new business. And so uh, we had that. And Kevin, uh, my co-founder at Ten Speed, uh, was head of SEO on my team for about five years at Sprout, and so. Um, yes, we very much had the opportunity to, to build and scale, you know, B2B blog and, uh, revenue, um, big revenue channel for a company. So that, yes, that is a big part of, of where we came. Uh, so yeah, for both Sprout and for this, I think, um, I think we typically look through like, or at least I do like three lenses. One is brand, one is product marketing, and then one is sort of like performance. Um, and so every website has to do all three of those um and that's i think the interesting balance um you know there and there are a lot of like seo purists and folks that will kind of like i'm just going to build my own site and it's going to be fully optimized and that's totally fine but like you're just building a, a bigger company like you just have um the the give and take of uh yes this exact phrase would be the most optimized but like this one is actually better at sort of selling the benefit of the product or, you know, or positioning in a certain way. Um, so you have had that balance and like, just need to work together with everyone and do that. So I think, um, yeah, so let's say, you know, brand product marketing and, and performance. And again, obviously performance is not only SEO, but, um, the you know, conversion aspect of that and, uh, everything you're doing with paid and everything on that front. Um, and then I think, you know, from a, the analytics perspective, uh, that becomes important um, it, across all of that. So um, does that answer your question or is there, there more to that? 
No, absolutely. Yeah. It's, I guess, I guess one other additional kind of element to the question would be like in your role today and, and, and for 10 speed, like specifically, like, are you getting a lot of new clients, you know, inbound via the website or is, uh, have things changed slightly now that you're kind of working on this agency kind of basis or is the website still kind of that conversion engine that you're trying to optimize? Yeah. Um, it's, it's getting there. I think it's certainly, uh, you know, it's been a challenge, like starting from zero with something versus um, the companies uh, worked with that are much higher volume. So, um, but yeah, it's it's definitely getting to that point where we have you know pretty steady stream of that. Um, I think um, it, uh, the, there's a lot of interesting insights that we get. Uh, like certainly the LinkedIn stuff you mentioned um, continues to be a big part of inbound and like a big distribution channel for us. And so, uh, we, we have like self-reported attribution in our form and we, uh, like over half of, of the inbound leads are citing LinkedIn generally, which is, you know, we post personally on there. We have a company page, we have, you know, small amount of LinkedIn ads. Like, so I don't know exactly sometimes which one of those is really uh, from a self-reported standpoint, I don't know which one they're talking about, but generally we know that is a, an important distribution channel. Uh, but we do also get some that's, you know, coming in through our content and, uh, finding us that way and becoming a lead. So it's definitely, um, it's definitely been growing and, and getting, uh, more and more a factor for us. And since you're talking about websites and conversion of traffic on websites, do you maybe have any favorite websites which you saw maybe even recently you can give us any two three names of maybe even bigger companies or other other companies which you think they have a really good strategy in terms of how to structure a website um i think one one that's interesting um that i just kind of continue to go back to a bit and it kind of speaks again to the, like the a bit of the product marketing side of things um Stripe, uh, stripe.com yeah. is, is always like interesting to me because they, uh, have grown now. They have just have so many products. And so I think that becomes an interesting lesson of sort of like, how do you structure something to where, you know, each one of these could be a standalone startup and, uh, and be like a converting page. And so, uh, I think that one's always a bit interesting. Um, and then I think just generally, uh, I'm, I'm not coming up with any examples off the top of my head, but I think there's definitely a, a growing trend right now of, of more and more companies, uh, pulling their product out of the app and like onto the, the web experience to let people, whether it's sandbox or, or something like initially start to play around with the product and engage before they even sign up. Um, and I think that I think would just be another great example. I just don't have a, a specific one in mind at the moment, but, um, I think that's probably another big one that I think is very interesting because having been a sprout and just seeing, you know, week in and week out that it's just sort of like a known thing that 30% of people would sign up and never come back. Um, yeah. and so you're just already missing out on, on all of that. And so be able to pull more of that experience out and have more people engage through product is very, very interesting. And, and to get a, a little bit kind of, uh, like kind of slightly geeky for a minute, um, when it comes to, you know, either in your current role now, uh, at 10 speed or in previous experiences, when it comes to, um, website analytics, um, were there ever any kind of key, um, metrics or key kind of combination of metrics or key things you used to focus on uh when it comes to ensuring that you know the website was staying optimized and making sure that things were working as they should um yeah i mean i think the there's a few things um that i would say is definitely like maybe a bit more general advice but um one is like just making sure it's properly set up um, so that, uh, should sound like a given, but the, we just encounter a lot of companies that it's not, you know, the script's not on every page or the conversion goals aren't set up or they're not set up correctly or they're double counting or whatever. And so, um, uh, you certainly run into a bit of that. And so I think, you know, from a, 
an ongoing perspective, certainly at Sprout, like we would just routinely crawl the website, you know, with looking for the parameter of the um, the code and in or the um, tracking script and, and a number of things there to just kind of make sure like everything's good um, it, from that perspective. And then um, I think uh, another area that I often recommend for people is like there there's a lot of different ways you can you can handle attribution, um, you know, first touch, last touch, W models, multi-touch, all kinds, like there's just a lot of things you can do. Um, but I think the most important thing is just to understand what settings your system has. So if you're, if you're relying on Google analytics, like, is it, are you using last touch or first touch? If you're using Marketo or HubSpot, like even just like, you have to know that because even if you're just going to use that one data point, the the difference between first touch and last touch is pretty substantial a lot of times in terms of how you're actually making decisions, analyzing the behavior of people. Uh, so I think just knowing, so even if there's, I don't think there's a holy grail of uh, this is the perfect attribution model, uh, but just know what, what you're working with. Um, and I think beyond that, go ahead, yeah. Because I wanted to intervene exa exactly on this point, because uh, also if you're lots of websites or most of the websites are using cookies in a way, this is one thing. And we just, uh, I watched a study late, uh, lately or recently uh, made by a university in Germany. It's called Bochum University. And they actually mentioned that most of the people, around 85% of the people are actually declining cookies. So essentially you're losing most of the data in a way. Yeah. So that's why also it's really good also to have a complementary tool maybe, which would be privacy first in order to have like a full comprehension of your traffic on the website. Yeah. Sorry to, to, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, that's a huge point for sure. I think that, and obviously going to continue to, to move that way. Like GA4 is coming. Uh, exactly. And if you haven't already moved there, that's the thing. And um, yeah, so, so a lot of what we've used over the last 10, 15 years is, not going to necessarily be as relevant so um totally agree with that um and then i i think the, the other points i would just make is just sort of like um needing to be able to like easily pivot data and also understand how it ties to business outcomes um so i'd say that's like the working with a lot of companies the two areas that don't happen it's just sort of like well this channel brings us this, this many leads this one brings us this many leads and there's not necessarily that pivoting of like, okay, but well what about, you know, that specific paid search campaign by country, by browser type, by landing page, like all these different, uh, ways you can be pivoting that. Um, and then, you know, further than understanding which ones actually become customers and not just leads. And then even further into well, which ones have the greatest lifetime value and not just, uh, you know, become a, subscriber and so it's kind of like continuing to go further and further down the funnel and understanding how you can uh, really uh tie the the marketing channels to true long-term business effect yeah it's like um chris walker from uh you know refine labs uh he posted something recently which was the comparison of data you know using an attribution software and using the self-attribution approach and the comparison of like certain channels and how little had been attributed to seo or how how much have you attributed towards organic for example using the kind of this attribution um software and when it was self-attributed so much more was coming from dark social and linkedin and these places um so it's really important these days that people are really truly you know have have clarity on, on where um their users are coming from and what channels are really actually working yeah absolutely I wanted to, to ask you on, on this note, because uh, we see, for instance, in Europe that lots of companies in at, at the enterprise level are converging more and more towards uh, privacy-first solutions. And uh, I know that you're working with lots of uh, SaaS companies as well. Do you have any approaches in terms of uh, enterprise marketing? Do you have any, any strategies you're seeing now or tactics which you see now that are working better than before or which are gaining traction for the moment in terms of enterprise level uh, companies or leads? Um, I don't know. Cause I would say like, 
I think generally like the sm smaller companies are just like shifting and innovating faster, which makes sense. I mean, that, yeah. that's kind of been true for a long time of, of bigger companies, but, um, you know, I think there's a lot of smaller companies that are kind of pivoting a bit and having in like good blog content and a podcast and repurposing and pulling clips and sharing on social and just sort of like building into this, uh, this model versus, um, I think a lot of on the enterprise side is still, uh, just still seeing a lot yeah. more of just like blog posts and eBooks and, uh, and obviously other channels, yeah, exactly. you know, events see... and broader sponsorships and stuff. Yeah. We see, we see the same thing actually in, in our, in our area of activity as well. That's even we, we launched this media approach and we're definitely thanking you actually taking part of it in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually having these companies, B2B companies, engaging in marketing nowadays uh, with a media-first approach, starting to build audiences rather than funnels, which we saw in Demand 2022. It, it was a virtual summit we attended uh, recently. And uh, it's pretty, you also mentioned that you're, you're handling also podcasts. Uh, do you have any specific advice in terms of setting up a media a media approach which were maybe two or three key elements you would need to consider whenever you want to start a media approach as a b2b SaaS company yeah um i so to, to clarify we we our primary involvement with podcasts is um tying like integrating that existing stuff with blog content and then also uh like we help some people take the full episode, cut it down, turn it into like the, the clips that are captioned and everything for social, for like a distribution mm -hmm. standpoint. So, uh, we're not necessarily doing like the strategy and, and like building shows for people, but, um, I guess, you know, from my perspective though, since we are doing that and then work with the number of folks that do, I think, um, I think the, the biggest thing like blocking before was like, let's blog about anything that has a keyword that we can rank for. Um, and I think that that has changed and it, it all feels very similar to me from a, like if you even put written content, blog content under media, um, the media first approach, I think is just heavily understanding the audience and, uh, what is important to them, what, you know, how you can help educate them, how you can, uh, uh, like solve problems for them, any of that. And so, and then it just becomes a format, you know, it's ideally you're doing that across multiple formats, which is, you know, social content, podcast, video, blog content written, like you're kind of, uh, distributing in a number of ways. So I still think it, it fits well in that sense, but to me, I think it's all about, um, much more of an audience first versus like, Hey, we're just going to try to, to rank for certain keywords. I guess one of the, the, the bigger challenges as well it kind of relates to what you've just said, which is uh, smaller companies and startups are much quicker at innovating. And, you know, all of these smaller companies that are emerging, yeah. they, they all want to, you know, A, they need to find channels that are working and approaches that are working. Um, and B, you know, they tend to have their fingers on the pulse in terms of like what's happening, where, what areas can we explore now? And therefore, just simply exploring a media strategy or taking a certain approach is not enough. Uh, you have to kind of differentiate yourself within that space as well. So it's trying to really niche down in a certain area or, or do something a bit differently to other people as well. Because, you know, same thing with blogs. You know, back 10, 15 years ago, or maybe a bit longer than that, simply having a blog, you know, was something that was uh, kind of considered to be innovative, you know, or new and enough to try and start building something. But of course, you know, nowadays that's not yeah. possible to just have a blog. You need to have proper structure to it. So I think the same thing's true when it comes to media strategy and, and podcasts and all these different approaches too. Um, we touched upon it a, a little bit when you mentioned the kind of fractional roles you've had in terms of um, the tech side of things. Um, but generally speaking, like, you know, kind of may, maybe specifically for B2B SaaS and that kind of growth range that you mentioned before ar around 10, 20 million, what are kind of the common uh, mistakes you see with tech and what are kind of some of your key 
um, kind of um, suggestions or advice when it comes to the MarTech stack and how it should grow with a company and how to ensure that it, it, it kind of remains optimized? Yeah, great question. <laughs> um, there, I, if there's quite a few, uh, but a few I think that are I think most prevalent and, and important. One is like um, technology is just technology. Like it is not. It's like there's I think it can be easy to get into this feeling of like, if we just had this tool, everything would work. Or if we just had this tool, we would grow or whatever. Um, and that's rarely the case. Like it's just code and, and interface and um, especially things that are involving data inputs and outputs. Like that just doesn't change a lot. Um, and so, you know, if you're, if your startup's not growing, like it's not because you're on Marketo and you need to be on HubSpot, like that there, and that's probably just a crude example, but, um, it definitely, it definitely creeps in, especially as a company gets bigger into, um, sort of the talk tracks and, and rationale is sort of like, well, we just need this tool, uh, you know, and whatnot. So I think the tool is not the solution that, you know, that's certainly one of them. Um, and I think, um, I think that it's it gets more and more important to understand how everything works together um, like and I think that's where you you see that definitely at the enterprise level like they will knowingly choose something that looks like it was built in 1995 if it actually just works with everything that it, it needs to and they'll say too bad to the the people on the front end because that's that is more important than you know the new seed stage company with a really slick looking product but you got to use Zapier to to try to tie everything together or whatever so um i do think that's important and so those are two sort of extreme examples but in the middle um you know that that does become a factor that if if you push that to the side too much, then you start having a lot of, you know, marketing operations, tech debt, sales operations, tech debt. You're hiring people to pull manual reporting because you chose a tool to do uh, one thing over another. Like there's a lot there that I think starts to become a pretty big factor. Um, and then I think the third thing would just be um, from from the the marketing side and like the martech and and looking at everything that's possible um i think it's just important to have people that at least you know one person but ide ideally multiple people that understand the tools use the tools and uh it's not like kind of pushed off to the side in this thing that nobody really understands uh, but i think so i think that sort of that people side of it is, is really important too to be able to to manage things, keep them up, keep the hygiene, like make sure they're working, um, all of that stuff that kind of comes with the ongoing maintenance of the tool once you get past the exciting part of, of buying it. I guess that's also... But just to kind of insist on, on the topic. Yeah, go ahead. You go ahead, Matt. Sorry. I was going to say, I guess that's also linked just to like the onboarding process, right? Because like I think a lot of companies, I've been guilty of this certainly myself in the past, uh, maybe slightly even in the present, <laughs> of like, you know, getting a new piece of MarTech and being like, right, cool, let's roll with it. You know, let's start using it. But without having that proper onboarding process in place, making sure we understand like what the milestones are, you know, who the kind of key users are, um, you know, how we're going to get that um, technology working for us in, a, in an efficient way, it can just end up becoming more of a headache than it is a, a help. And that's when things start to fall apart a little bit. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I just wanted to, to ask you just to insist a bit on, on this topic. Do you have any, in terms of marketing aspects of things, do you have any two or three pieces of software you're using on a daily basis or with a high recurrency maybe? Um, I mean, so we use HubSpot um, for like the, the market automation and CRM. So I think that's definitely one that we're using heavily. Um, and in terms of the tech stack, I mean, I think 
like maybe not a daily use, but I still like really have a lot of um put a lot of value in like Hotjar or any sort of heat mapping tool. I think um continues to kind of be underrated. I think for or just underused for a lot of people in terms of just having a way to to really understand that. And obviously, there's others that go you know um, deeper into the into the product uh, from a product perspective. Um, which are also great, but anything there that you're just really kind of understanding the engagement and and under, and uh, usage of the website or the product is super important. Um, outside of that, you know, one that I think, um, I, I mean, obviously a lot of people know about Clearbit, so it's not like they're they're an unknown company, but um, like we use the there's like a free version of Clearbit Reveal. Um, product and so you just put that script on your site and then every week it tells you people from certain companies that were visiting uh and which pages they were engaging with and and that kind of stuff um and so that's been massively helpful for us uh even just from that perspective and just understanding um you know even seeing the shift over time from like a wide range of of types of company into seeing like the majority being kind of in the like internet and software bucket uh and knowing like okay we're we're getting more people from the right places uh you know seeing uh, certain companies just signals that we can use kind of like uh connect to them on social or you know a number of things we can do from there uh but it's also just massively helpful from a content perspective in seeing which posts uh or podcast episodes or whatever people are engaging with so um that would be a few that i think we're using pretty regularly from like a, a website martech standpoint that sounds super useful um i'll take a look at that myself i, I haven't i hadn't come across this free this free clear bit solution so i'll take a look um yeah, it's cool obviously like right now it's it's quite well documented and we, we don't want to focus too much on it with regards to uh the difficult economic crisis that we're currently in also from a b2b kind of tech perspective the the, the massive impact this has had on a lot of companies in our space um you know we personally because yep. we're bootstrapped and you know we we're, we're making profit in these things we don't experience it personally but i think anyway it directly affects like even your strategy and your approach when you when you understand that the whole sector obviously is going through a certain period um with that in mind both as a kind of um company but also as yourself personally what kind of key areas you know both in terms of strategy but also just in terms of you know, anything else really related to your own personal growth um, what key areas are you focused on as, as we move kind of towards 2023? Um, yeah, great question. From from like the 10 speed side of things, uh, I think a couple areas are just, um, you've really just been trying to be laser focused on like our positioning and messaging and differentiation and just be like um we've definitely seen the shift like it's gone from you know hey someone referred us to you like ge generally tell me what you do and then kind of what it costs like cool i want to work with you to really you know multi getting multiple bids from from different companies and like understanding and more questions about the nuances of, of how we do what we do um so i think you know it's it's like uh, not that we were intentionally being lazy before, but I think just the time, you know, prior to some of this, I think just everyone was sort of like moving faster and less diligence and now um, really puts a microscope on, on that. So I think there's, that's where we're really focused on like nailing down positioning, messaging, really differentiating, um, doing some of that stuff. Um, and then I think outside of that, it's just trying to stay really in tune with marketing leaders, content marketers, like, you know, we're seeing more and more folks even just posting on LinkedIn of like still have big goals for next year and my budget's still slashed and we have less people like like that's a new real challenge and, and pain point for people and so um, not that we're trying to like upend what we do and totally change our services but uh, we need to stay on top of things and understand what's most important to people and how we can be most helpful in helping them hit those goals so I think that's another area is just trying to stay really close to 
customer feedback and and where people are at in the in the market. Uh, and then personally, I think um, I I'm just really I think I think there's a, still a huge opportunity um, in the coming year just to continue to build um, our own audience and 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 that's like you know personal brand on LinkedIn as well as uh, you know we have our own newsletter our own podcast so like um, you know even if that doesn't materialize into as many leads or or new clients uh, you know over the next nine to twelve months. Uh, there's still a great value in in building our audience during this time. So that's just another big area and in, in personal focus as well. And uh, because we know the path of a marketer is, we mentioned it's not that linear, let's say. You're experiencing many elements from different backgrounds, so on and so forth. Because I, I'm saying this because many, many of our guests experience the same thing. Uh, what advice would you have for a junior marketer or for a person who aspires to get into this domain of activity? Yeah, uh, I agree with you. I had, um, at one point I had like five people on my team at Sprout Social and I think two of them were studied political science in, in college. Uh, and I was like, how do I, how's 40% of my, my team, you know, poli-sci majors, but... Um, yes, it's, it's, it's wild the way people get into marketing and they come from, from all different paths. Um, I think the two things I would say, uh, for junior marketers and things that, um, that are kind of regardless of how you get into marketing, I think are helpful. One is just understanding data. Um, there's certainly some folks that get into marketing a little bit more from a creative side or just, uh, it's not necessarily their personality to want to get into the numbers and stuff. And I think, um, as much as you can understand, um, like I said, like what is attribution? What's the, how is data getting to where you are to know that you feel confident in it? Um, but also understanding, you know, if you're a SaaS company, understanding the unit economics of your company and the important things to build sustainable data. And like, you know, like I said, lifetime value and like, where's there really the most value? Like there's so many things that you just keep going deeper and deeper into the data as a marketer, it will just continue to make you better. Um, and the other area I would say is, um, to not just try to like, don't only focus on improving your marketing skills. I think there are other skills that are adjacent to marketing that will also just make you a better marketer. Um, and you don't have to be like mastery because I like, think mastery across 10 disciplines is completely unrealistic, but, um, yeah. you know, if you're trying, we're talking about like, again, you know, attribution, data inflow analytics being set up correctly. If you just have a general proficiency of JavaScript, uh, and knowing how to look at source code, you can, you know, go all a bit further instead of going to a developer and saying it doesn't work, uh, you know, go to them and say, it looks like there's a missing semicolon, um, here, or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so there's just things that you can kind of, you know, get a bit better if you know that. I think statistics is incredibly important. Um, you know, buyer psychology um, is another one. Um, and so I think there's just things that you can you can learn about and understand that will then uh, improve your overall marketing abilities because you're kind of having a more well-rounded thing. Your finance is another one. If you understand how to read a P&L and a balance sheet and free cash flow and you know a few other areas there i think it just makes you have a better context in decision making and, and that kind of stuff yeah great advice i think also like super important advice even to senior marketers right because a there are some senior marketers who get stuck in their lane <laughs> and don't want to venture too far outside of that sure b there are senior marketers who, who get people in their team and they kind of assume that they would already know certain things you know like one example would be like the reasons why they're doing something. And one thing I found a lot is you need to make sure yeah. you're communicating very clearly. This part of your job is related to this goal and this is how you're impacting it. And this is why we're, we're going after this goal because it links into this objective. Um, just connecting the dots for them. So you're not just letting them work blindly and aware of what they're actually kind of contributing towards. 
Great stuff. So this brings us on to what we call our bonus segment. Dragosh always says it's it's the much hyped uh, five things you decide. But it is, yeah, because it's 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 much awaited from all of our audience. <laughs> yeah. So basically, this is you've already given so many great nuggets of advice, and you've given them in such a um, structured kind of way that I feel like this bonus segment has almost been the kind of whole podcast. But yeah, just to end on one more kind of note. A top five you decide so whatever it is that you want to focus on give us kind of five pieces of advice that you would uh into that topic yes cool um yeah so i'm going to focus on top five tips for b2b content marketing um so uh one i alluded to a bit earlier you know is, is starting with icp um so I, I mentioned that's what we do for our services, but also, you know, we talk about the media company, the audience being a really important factor. So understand, in it, uh, to be clear, ICP, meaning ideal customer profile. Um, so if you don't have that set up, um, it's kind of, you know, basically another way of saying uh, what are, you know, all the details of, of your ideal customer, your target audience, um, you know, persona, there's a number of ways that gets uh, phrased. So. Um, start with that. Make sure you're really focused on that instead of, uh, like I said, chasing high search volume or or some other tactic that seems exciting but may not be relevant to them. Uh, so start there. Um, always recommend you know focusing on quality over quantity. Um, there's you know again like it doesn't matter if you're creating a ton of content that's subpar. Every every piece of content, every visit to your site is a brand touch is a brand experience and it's either positive or negative there's nothing neutral uh in that realm so if you're not um if you're trying to do too much quantity and taking away from the quality then you are diminishing you know brand impact and in a lot of other areas um the third would be to optimize existing content uh this is actually how we really got started uh with 10 speed was primarily focusing on uh, refreshing and optimizing and consolidate, consolidating existing content for clients. Uh, and it is a hugely important thing. It's one of the uh, best ways to kind of get some quick traffic back if you've had a lot of, of decay over time. And also uh, just uh, critically important to truly having the compounding growth over time is to not have uh, be losing traffic um, from some of your existing content. Um, the fourth would be uh, distributing and repurposing content. So again, um, you know, we we kind of view organic search as a distribution channel. And so um, when you just put all of your eggs in that basket, you optimize for search, don't do anything else. You're kind of, uh, like I said, putting all your eggs in one basket and depending on that. So, um, you know, repurposing the content into a number of formats on social, it could be you know, text posts or, you know, um, carousel posts on LinkedIn or whatever it might be. Um, there's also, you know, turning it into a newsletter or sending that out to your clients or your customers. Um, uh, even just like enabling your sales team with content that might be relevant to something that's a prospect's dealing with, they can send. There's a lot of ways you can kind of reuse and distribute your content. And then lastly, um, is just measuring more than just revenue. So kind of touching back on the attribution stuff we talked about, like most content marketing is not directly bringing someone to your site, they sign up and then become a paying customer. Uh, the majority of it is uh, sort of discovery, uh, how they're finding you um, a bit more on like the demand creation side to really kind of bring people in, building awareness, building your audience. And so, um, I think the the programs that we've seen get cut short uh, and not reach their full potential were measured on a more of a PPC model of we spent this, we got this, and we're not happy with the ROI. Um, and so that's, I think, a, a, the last big area that I would say for for truly building long-term, I think you have to to measure some, some various points across the funnel and, and brand and customer experience to to really see the full potential of what content is doing. I mean, extremely useful stuff and many thanks for sharing the input with us. Obviously, this is even more important that it's one, one of our most followed sections, the top five of whatever you choose. 
Uh, anyways, Nate, uh, so folks, we had Nate Turner with us. Uh, he's from 10 Speed from Chicago area, from the US. Many thanks, uh, Nate, again. Uh, I hope we can see each other also in person. And uh, guys, keep an eye on, on Twip. Hit the subscribe button. You can follow us also on YouTube, but also on other podcast carriers. I am Dragos. I'm here with my co-host Matt. And we're seeing you the next time. Yeah.